God and Timothy our brother to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Coloss. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of, of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen to that reading from his holy word and to his name be glory and praise. Well, good morning to you all. It's uh, with great joy that I can uh, stand here this morning and uh, bring God's word to you. It's greater joy than uh, just the wonders of bringing God's word to you. But um, just half an hour ago, I didn't think I was going to be here. Um, I went out to the loo out in the back and the doors into the hall closed behind me. And guess what? There I was, enshrouded with barbed wire. I couldn't get out. I knocked on the hall door. No one heard. I prayed. God heard. And um, he showed me a very, very heavy ladder. And I was able to lean that against the building next door, climb up, get on the roof and jump down. So how about that for an old guy? That's pretty good, isn't it? So, um, yes, uh, it is... Seriously, great joy to be here to bring God's word to you this morning. Let's pray. Father, it is by your sovereign grace that you have given us your word. Oh, what a joy it is to be able to read your word, to be able to hear you as you speak to us so clearly. And it's our prayer this morning, Lord, that you will take away the things of this world, the things of yesterday, the things of this afternoon, the things of tomorrow, and help us, Father God, to focus on you and your dear Son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. 
With all relationships, communication and trust are the two important ingredients. And with our most important relationship, that is, the one with our great God, our creator, our sustainer and our redeemer, it is no different. God communicates to us in his word, the Bible. As we know, we talk to him in prayer. That's what prayer is, speaking to God. And pray is a four-letter word that you can say anywhere at any time. The Apostle Paul, in all his letters, encourages us to pray without ceasing, to be able to focus our hearts on prayer, to have an attitude of prayer. And this morning we're looking at verses 9 to 14 of the passage that Keith brought to us on Colossians chapter 1. The question that Paul arises, raises in our hearts is, what is our attitude to prayer? When we pray, do we treat God as our lawyer, only go to him when we're in trouble? Do we treat him as our delivery boy when our prayers become cosmic shopping lists? Or do we treat God as our doctor? We go to him only when we're sick. We can have lots of different attitudes to prayer. Some people regard prayer with suspicion. I heard the story once of a little girl who um, had her first sleepover at her friend's place. She came home and her mum said, did you have a wonderful night? And she said, yes, it was great at Lucy's house, but there must be something wrong with Lucy's mother's cooking. Why is that, she said. We had to pray before we ate the meal. Some people become prayer warriors when the pilot of the 747 tells them that they're descending at 5,000 feet a minute. It's amazing how many people on a 747 will pray. Some people pray with an ulterior motive. I heard the story of a little boy who was... Uh, praying, his mother praying beside his bed, he prayed, Dear God, please bless Mummy and Daddy and Sister Susan and my little brother Billy and don't forget I want a bike for Christmas. His mother said, Son, you don't have to shout. God is not deaf. He said, I know that, but Grandma is and she's in the next room. Of course, God expects us to bring to him our prayers, our needs, to bring others to him. And these things are wonderful. God wants us to pour out our emotions to him. And he always hears and he will always, always answer. His answers aren't always exactly what we expect. Sometimes they might be no, sometimes wait. But we know that at all times his answers are for his glory and for our well-being. God wants us to praise him, to tell, tell him how much we love him, to confess to him, to plead with him, to cry to him, as we would our very, very best friend. Because that's who he is. He's our best friend. 
Well, as I mentioned earlier, the Apostle Paul has given us many, many models, many examples of coming to God in prayer. He does this in all his letters. And he asks us to pray for each other, always. When he writes to the churches in Colossae or the Philippi or the church in Ephesus or wherever it might be, to pray for them. And he urges us also to pray for each other. In Samuel's farewell speech in 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 23, Samuel said, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. That's what Samuel said. He regarded it as a sin not to pray for the people of God. So if you'd like to open your sermon outline at the, in the centre of your service sheet and you perhaps uh, can follow me with it. We're looking at this prayer of Paul's to the, uh, to the Colossian church and we're looking at verses 9 through to 14. Now this prayer, I believe, is one of the most significant prayers in the whole of the New Testament. It depicts the spiritual growth amongst Christians. Not only does it tell us about Paul's great desire for the people of Colossae, but it tells us, uh, it gives us a valuable pattern on how we should pray for each other and our brothers and sisters. If you want to grow spiritually and you want others to, to grow in their walk with the Lord, then this prayer of Paul's should be your constant guide. Memorise it, stick it on the fridge pasted on the bathroom mirror, whatever you need to do, it's valuable and it's important. Too often when we, when we pray for the things of this world, when we pray for ourselves and others, we, we, we have tunnel vision. We pray for good health and recovery from illness and success in exams. We pray for our children, pray for our grandchildren. The list is endless. God wants those prayers and he expects us to bring them to us. Our, our thoughts, our burdens, the things that are in our heart, he expects them. But we must also add a spiritual dimension to our prayer life. And that's what the Apostle Paul is teaching us this morning. Firstly, we look from verse 9. The question is, how should we pray for each other? Verse 9, Paul says, Ask God to fill us with the knowledge of his will. Now it's significant that Paul prayed for the Colossians' knowledge of God's will because at that time in the first century, about 60 AD, the Colossian people were under siege by the Gnostics who, amongst other things, were telling them that they needed to, to, to understand the systems of passwords and rituals and rites as well as a faith in Christ. But the Gnostics were totally wrong. Christ and his will are all that is required for us to grow in our relationship with God. So what it really is God's will? And that's the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning. Often, once again, our self-centeredness makes us think that uh, prayer is talking about knowing his will with regard to uh, perhaps a marriage partner or a, a vocation or where we might live or, 
what church we might go to. These things, once again, are fine. The Spirit of God does direct us in our daily lives. But here, Paul is not talking about this aspect of God's will. He is speaking about God's will as it is revealed in his word. And a careful study of the scriptures will give us a much better knowledge of his will. And that's a foundation to a sound, fruitful, growing Christian life. The knowledge of God's will comes from spiritual wisdom and understanding. Of course, we know that spiritual wisdom, spiritual knowledge comes um, through the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle John tells us that in John chapter 16. The Holy Spirit does guide and direct us, but he does not work alone. The scriptures become the main source of the knowledge for all believers as they are studied in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God and the Spirit of God give the child of God a Christian mindset, which, as we know, is diametrically opposed to the mindset of this world. Our priorities, our values, our relationships are so different to that of the world's. The Apostle Paul in his uh, letter to the church in Rome said, and I read from uh, chapter 12, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then we will know the will of God. He goes on to urge the Ephesian church that uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit as a way of understanding what God's will is for you. To the church in Thessalonica, he did say that God's will is for you and me to be sanctified, to grow. We are holy people set apart by God for him, for himself. Set apart. Special people. Saints. We're all saints, as we all know. There's been a lot in the news in recent week or so about saints. But we are, the Bible tells us that we are all saints. We are all, we who are believers and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ are God's holy people. Once again, the closing words to the church in Thessalonica, he says, Be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks to God in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to be joyful always. It's hard to pray continually. It's hard to give thanks in all circumstances because we live in a world that is fallen. We live with difficulties, we live with um, our own fallen natures, we live with a temptation of the evil one trying to drag us down. We live in this world that is uh, trying to seduce us and frustrate us. I think it's a little bit like um, uh, walking around in a forest where huge thick forest with big tree trunks all around you. Every way you turn, 
you see tree trunks. You're sort of caged in, a bit like I was caged in out the back out there earlier, but, but caged in and the tree trunks. Every way we turn, we, can't, so we, we, we just see the darkness in the tree trunks. But by the power of the Spirit of God, we can walk out of that forest, up the hill, and look beyond the forest and look to the glories of God, the glory of a sunset, the glory of a sunrise, the glory of seeing God in his majesty and knowing the hope of the glory of God that we can each share, enjoy and look forward to. So I know we all do go through difficult times in our lives and as I said it's hard to be joyful always. It's hard to give thanks in all circumstances when things are going wrong. But we need to look to God and trust in him. Walk out of the forest and look beyond the tree trunks. I think today, well I shouldn't say more than any other time, but I guess it's so important today in the 21st century that we will have this spiritual understanding and wisdom that the Holy Spirit can give us to know God's will as he has revealed it in his word. I stress, I'm not talking about his will as to where we might live or what church we might go to or whatever. Know his will as he has revealed it, as he wants us to grow in him. So many people today chase every fad and gimmick and, and bandwagon searching for God's will for them. They desperately look for signs and often ignore what God is saying to them in his word. Others hang on to every tradition of the church as if it were the only way of knowing God's will. But no, both of these are wrong. We must be fresh and alert to God's voice as he speaks to us in his word and as his spirit makes the words on the these pages jump into our hearts and show us who we are and who he is and what he has done for us in Christ and how we are to live. Becoming a Christian is not just simply a matter of um, repenting and coming to faith in the Lord Jesus and that coming to church every now and then and that's it. Becoming a Christian is growing, growing in Christ in our daily walk with him. If you were to line up a dozen people and ask them what their definition of success is, you'd get at least a dozen answers, wouldn't you? Lots of different answers. You know, the best answer I have heard is the most profound and the most succinct of all. Success is knowing God's will and doing it. So it's important that we add a spiritual dimension to our prayers by praying for our friends, our family, our churches to have spiritual wisdom and understanding to know what God is saying to us and what his will is for us. But knowledge is not good enough. How many people have brilliant minds but fail to put their knowledge into action? How many people know the will of God but fail to live it. The Apostle says in verse 10, 
that this knowledge of his will is critical and it's important so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and you may please him in every way. How can we live a life worthy of the Lord? Well, naturally, by pleasing him in every way. But what a frighteningly high standard this is. Who can be counted worthy of the Lord? Who can please him? Totally, in this fallen world and when we suffer the temptations that are all around us every day. Who can? We all know that we will not be perfect until we reach heaven. We will not be perfect until we are glorified and in glory with our King and our Lord. But if we seek God's will and if we are led by the Spirit of God, we will become more and more like Christ each day. Paul says in uh, his second letter to the Corinthian church in chapter 4, Outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Isn't that so true? Outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly God by his spirit is renewing us each day. Friends, God chose you in Christ before the creation of the world. Stop there and pause for a moment. What does that mean to you? God knew you before the world even came into existence. God knew you before the clock started to tick. God chose you and me in Christ before the creation of the world. That's mind-boggling stuff, isn't it? That's true. That's what he says in his opening chapter to the church in Ephesus. He chose you in Christ before the creation of the world. He has called you by his Holy Spirit. He has forgiven you. And that's the, only, that's the greatest need that every human being ever needs, is forgiveness. God is holy, just, righteous, perfect. And we are imperfect, broken, fallen human beings. People say to me, well, I live a good life. I haven't broken any of the commandments. I don't go and rob banks or commit adultery or murder people. Of course not. Most of us don't do that. But we've all broken the first commandment. We have not put God first in our lives. We have not honoured him as God. And the need... All, the great need that we all have is to be forgiven. And that's what God has provided for us. And that's what he's done when he sent his son to die on the Calvary cross to pay the penalty that we should pay. And when we see that and repent and know and repent from our waywardness and come to faith in Jesus and trust him, we are forgiven people, redeemed people, justified by him. And Paul, even in the Church of the Romans, in chapter 8, verse 30, even goes to the extent of saying, we're glorified. Does that ever strike you as being funny? We have been glorified? I always understood that we'd be glorified when we're in heaven. 
but Paul speaks in the past tense because it's, he's so sure that it's going to happen. It's already happened because God is already at tomorrow. Many Christians, young Christians today, wear um, uh, little wrist things and, and uh, necklaces uh, that they buy from Kurong or other, other Christian shops with the, the initials WWJD. Do you all know what that means? WWJD, what would Jesus do? A lot of young people, young Christians wear these things to remind them what would Jesus do? And that should be our motto. We mightn't wear them around our wrists or around our necks, but that should be our motto also when, we want, when we're to live a life worthy of him and to please him in every way. What speech is worthy of him? What thoughts are worthy of the Lord, the one who died for us? What, what conduct is, is typical of him? We need to ask ourselves. Conversely, on the other side of the coin, what conduct, speech or thoughts should I avoid? because they would shame the one who died for me. Simple questions, but so important when we consider living our lives for the Lord. Our answers should transform how we work, what we do with our leisure time, how we relate to our families, what we read and watch on TV, how we treat our neighbours, what we do with our money. All these things are important when we consider that we are to live lives worthy of our Lord. But knowledge is not good enough. We need to act. And if you follow me in verses, the end of verse 10 to verse 12, Paul then gives us some practical illustrations of living lives worthy of our Lord. Looking at verse 10, I'm reading, Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. There are four examples of living a life worthy of the Lord. Bearing fruit in every good work. We all know that we are not saved by our good works. Remember Paul's word to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and these are in my, my translation, and the prepositions are important. We are saved by the grace of our Almighty God, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, for good works. No amount of good works is going to get us into heaven. We're saved by the grace of God in giving up his Son, Jesus Christ, on the Calvary cross, to suffer God's anger and wrath that we should suffer. And when we, he is our substitute, when we place our faith in him, indeed, we are forgiven people. So good works are the outworking of our faith. They don't produce salvation. They're the outworking of our faith and they're the result of Christ's life in us. So the prayer that uh, the Apostle Paul is bringing to the Colossian church, he's asking them, bear fruit, fruitfulness in your lives. And fruitfulness, of course we know the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I always remember those nine fruits of the Spirit uh, this way, and it's an elderly lady in one of the 
congregations in which I ministered, uh, she said the first three have one syllable, the second three have two syllables, and the third three have three syllables. Love, joy, peace, uh, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So we're called to bear fruit in every good work. But it's a continuing thing. Secondly, to grow in the knowledge of God. Not only did Paul pray for the church to be filled with the knowledge of God, but also to grow in such knowledge. This is a circular point. He's talking about knowing God's will, doing it, and the more we do it, the more we want to know it, and it's an ever-increasing spiral. The more we live for him, the more we will want to live for him. And for the growing Christian, this upward spiral will continue until our glorification is complete. It's like riding a bicycle. You must keep going forward. If you stop, you'll fall off. So the more we know God, the more we will want to know him. Thirdly, we will be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that we may have great endurance and patience. God's great power for us who believe is the power which he exerted when he raised his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That's the power, the power of God's spirit. But the power of God demonstrated, is demonstrated in his people not by way of miracles, but in great patience and endurance. The Greek word for endurance refers to suffering adverse circumstances. And the word for patience refers to dealing with difficult people. So God, by his Holy Spirit, gives us the power to endure patience and with the problems and the difficulties and the heartaches of this world. Fourthly, we will joyfully give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Friends, let us remember that it is God who has qualified us as his children. Nothing of yourself. It is all of God. It is God who has qualified us to receive his peace, his love, his joy. It is God who has qualified us for heaven. Our salvation is all of him. And we must understand that. The faith that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, the faith that we, we proclaim that we live, is of him. The Spirit of God has planted that faith in our hearts. Our salvation, our inheritance, is all of God. And what, what Paul is saying here, we must joyfully give thanks to the Father because he's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. We're no longer in the dominion of darkness, groping around, wondering about the truth. 
Remember, we were once blind. Remember the words, Amazing Grace, John Newton's words? We were once blind, living in the dark, not knowing the truth, not knowing, not having any hope, being hopeless. Hopeless today is a fairly derogatory word, isn't it? You say, oh, he's hopeless or she's hopeless or whatever. We were hopeless. Hopeless means without hope. Without any chance of any hope. Hopeless for tomorrow? Hopeless for next year? Hopeless for eternity? Doomed to eternal misery. But God has rescued us. He has brought us out of that dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his son. I mean, how marvellous is that? How wonderful is Isn't that the best news that anyone could ever hear? That we now have that glorious hope. By his grace and his grace alone, we have been joined to the Lord Jesus, inseparately joined to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Through him we have been gloriously redeemed, purchased from the slave market of Satan at great cost, the cost of the life of his son. Can you stand before God, your creator, with your head held high? Do you know that your slate has been wiped clean? Is God's power controlling your life rather than the power of sin and the evil one? You know, I think I've, one of the best illustrations I've heard is that before we came to faith in Christ, all human beings were, as we all know, uh, tainted by sin, all sinners, uh, rebelled against God and uh, lived a life towards that way. I don't know whether there are any, are there any bowlers here today? Any people who are... Bowlers, yes, yeah, a couple, yeah. Well, you know when you bowl that ball, there's a bias on the ball, isn't there? A bias on the ball, and you've got to counteract that, of course, when you're bowling it down to the, what do you call it? The jack, the kitty, what is it? And that's what our lives were before we came to faith in Christ. We were biased against the things of God and biased toward the things of the world and the evil things and things that were not godly. So what are we doing here? Are you rejoicing in this newfound love and life? Can you stand before God right now, justified, knowing that you have been forgiven and you could stand there before him, with him, by him? It is inconceivable that God would provide for our forgiveness and not forgive us when we trust in the Lord Jesus. It is inconceivable that he should forgive us and not empower us to live lives worthy of our calling. Well, in the rest of his letter to the Colossian church, which uh, the people at the, uh, the camp, the church camp, are looking at today uh, with uh, Ian Smith, who's going through the rest of Colossians, the rest of the letter... Uh, Paul goes on to sing the praises of the one who died for us, the one who has made all this possible for us. Jesus Christ is all-sufficient. He is supreme. He is all we require. 
Forget the Gnostics and the, who want the Colossians to add to their faith in, in, in Jesus, various other things. Forget those who espouse a different gospel today, who want to add to our faith and our belief, works or whatever. Talking to men for God is a great thing. But talking to God for men is greater still. Let us all lift our horizons when bowing in prayer. Let us add that spiritual dimension to our prayers. Let us rejoice in seeing each other growing in our knowledge of God's will. Being in tune, in step with the Holy Spirit. And experience the fruit-bearing grace of our great God in our individual lives, in our families, in our church. And let us joyfully give thanks to him because it is all of him. Let's pray. Our gracious and eternal God, we thank you so much for your word and we thank you for this wonderful, powerful prayer of the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae. We thank you for that, Lord, and we pray that you will help us all to add a spiritual dimension to our prayers as we pray for each other and our families, that we will pray that we will know a knowledge of your will for us through your word as you reveal it to us by the power of your spirit and help us to go forward in a mighty way to know you more and more each day and to live for you in every way. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.